When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ken Absuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire, and it's the weekend edition, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we call it the weekend edition, get it, because it's kind of like the week, uh, never mind, you're here, you get it. The Daily Podcast then is released once, Monday morning, encapsulating all the topics we talked about here over the weekend on Daily Thrones. We begin this Friday evening for me at the time uh, of, of this recording. Uh, let's let's answer your general questions. I got some calls in the queue. Some are uh, still some favorite moments. Some are looking ahead to season eight. Some are wild theories and all the normal things we talk about here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. Hey, Daily Thrones listeners. You know, it's something really cool about Arya being a killer and being, for better or worse, or all intents and purposes, she is now Sansa's executioner. That's really cool. Cersei's got one in the Segregor, and now Sansa's got one in Arya, the little murder girl. But am I the only one who wants to really see in season eight John and Arya fighting back to back against the armies of the dead or any armies? Just a shot of them fighting alongside one another. How cool would that be? Mark calling in from Mark Talk. Check out his station here on Anchor and with the best description of Arya I've heard in a long while. Arya, the little murder girl. That is a great title, a great nickname, and some great stuff brought up in the call by Mark there. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, even though we saw it on full display in Season 7. If Sansa is a ruler or a ruler-to-be... And definitely a candidate to be a ruler on a higher level. If they work this whole War of the Night King thing out, she'll have Arya as kind of her own personal uh, little assassin, her personal little protector, her own little queen's guard. Uh, much like, as Mark said, Cersei and Sir Gregor. Uh, you could say Daenerys and Dario, at least for for a while. That makes some sense there. So I like that idea. That uh, that would give Arya this. Weird purpose. I think we think uh, Arya fitting into the larger story, particularly in season eight, is a question mark, but also that it might be on a bigger scale, and not that being Sansa's uh, personal assassin or protector is a small-scale job, but Arya is a main character. But I like that idea. I like Arya cast in that role. And as far as Jon and Arya, back-to-back, fighting the White Walkers, fighting the Whites, staring down the Night King... I love that idea. I love that visual. And when you look to season eight and we think more about what Arya's place in the story is, it's an ongoing discussion, an ongoing uh, debate topic because she's a lone wolf, but she's seemingly learned the lesson that the pack survives. Uh, with, you know, you don't want to be a, a lone wolf in this time. And that's not what Ned taught them. We talked about how Arya and Sansa have that great I miss him moment towards the end of season seven. So I think Arya has learned that lesson. I don't see her as a lone wolf anymore. So how the story factors Arya and Melisandre, 
Arya and the, the Hound. I don't know. But of all the reunions, Jon Snow and Arya is going to be one of the more powerful reunions. And because of their connection, going back to season one, him giving her needle and that being uh, kind of a, a, a thing she looked to for inspiration. A, a needle was a part of her. Needle was her identity wrapped up in the sword. That's why she didn't toss it in the water over in Bravos. That's why she fished out that sword and sacrificed a lot to go on to this next part of her journey. And Needle represented a lot of that. And that comes from Jon Snow. Their connection is strong. So her and Sansa are tight right now. They are sisters in arms here. But what's going to happen when Jon Snow returns? Now, yes, they're not the half-sister, half-brother. Their relations are a little more complicated right now. But this is their brother and sister to me regardless. Regardless of Jon Snow's true name and true identity, Arya and Jon are connected. They're family. They're close. They're brother and sister. So them... In season eight, their reunion, which is going to happen, uh, it's it's going to be powerful. But will it lead to more? Will it factor in to the end game and the end battle? But at the very least, the visual that Mark is suggesting means it should happen. It means it would be worth our while. What do you guys think about Arya being Sansa's personal assassin? Do you like her cast in the role of Arya, the little murder girl? Do you think she's going to have some other larger purpose? Or could it just be her and John? And I say just be. Will it be her and John fighting back to back, side by side, against the Night King and his army? Let us know here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. I just wanted to call about my favorite episode seven little moment. And it's the last time Jamie speaks with Cersei. Uh, obviously, this moment holds great significance because it's Jamie finally standing up for what he believes is right, kind of calling out Cersei with what she's been doing, and uh, he's stepping up and, and he's he's leaving, he's taking off. But the reason this moment really sticks out for me is how it made me feel when I first watched it, and that's because I thought Jamie was finally going to die. Um, there's that moment where Cersei looks at the mountain and the mountain reaches for his hilt. And I, I thought that was it. I thought Jamie was was going down. Um, he is my favorite character. I've made it very clear um, ever since episode one, season one. Um, I've always liked Jamie, and I, I thought this was the end. Um, you never know when characters are going to go in Game of Thrones. It can happen so sudden, and I thought that was happening. Um, I was gripping the edge of my seat, and luckily he's still alive, living to see another season. Jeff, that's a great call. Great moment from season seven. The end. Jamie finally standing up to Cersei, walking away. And a great shot of Winter finally arriving to King's Landing when Jamie is riding away there. But yeah, you're right. That is part of the the core uh, effect, the, 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 the cause and effect, if you will, of Game of Thrones uh, ever since. Well, I guess Ned Stark's definitely the biggest one. But I also think uh, Viserys is part of that legacy going back to season one of characters dying, dying suddenly, and Jamie facing off with Cersei with the mountain in the background there. Yeah, absolutely. I had that moment too of, oh, this actually could be it. There's a lot of those moments all through the show. And in one sense, yeah, it's Sully, right? Like, why would we think Jamie Lannister? He's been a mainstay since episode one of the series. Why would we think at this point, this far along in the story... Why would we think that he'd be on the chopping block, literally and figuratively? And then you kind of stop and think about it, and yeah, it, it could happen. 
That could be the end. Jamie's story, if he had died right then, his whole story to me would have been a lesson in convict. choose your convictions wisely and a little more fast. Uh, choose a side earlier. He's waffled on Cersei for a long time, and if that was his final moment and then it cost him, he dies, I think that would have been the lesson. But Jamie is alive. He's learned a lot, and he's riding off, and we'll see in Season 8 what happens to him. This is what I love about Season 8. This is what I love about the end and where we're at in the story. It is no longer easy to predict what's going to happen to these characters. You have to imagine there's going to be some kind of bloodbath, and unlike Season 7, I don't think a lot of our favorites are going to come out of this season or come out of the story unscathed. And Jamie could be... On that chopping block, I see a lot of redemption in Jamie, and maybe that will be his reward to live beyond this. Or maybe it's too late for him. What do you guys think of Jamie in Season 8? Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Yeah, I get that uh, question asked a lot. Why didn't Benji just jump on the horse? So I, I think this is my final thought on it, and you tell me what you think. I think Benjamin was one of those crazy, loose, but important threads that George R. R. Martin had to close because if if Benjamin comes through the wall and talks to John, Sam's storyline drastically diminishes. And then all Sam's purpose at this point then is simply to let John know, by the way, you're a Targaryen. I happen to think that Sam, Kyburn, and the uh, Maesters are going to play a very important part in the next few episodes, uh, one, one and two, uh, moving forward in a lot of exposition and who the White Walkers are. But if Benjamin comes through, John is going to be asking military tactics like how many, how do you beat them, what's going on, and how are you still a functional White Walker with a mind and everything? No, Benjamin had to go. That's why. Thanks. Benjamin had to go. That is a strong statement, and I actually agree with Kevin on that. Now, the additional uh, wrinkle to this idea that Kevin's explaining uh, about Sam, his purpose, the Maesters, and, and maybe how they factor into the war uh, against the Night King. How they factor in into the end of the story with some strategy. I, I like that idea. I'm on board for it. I don't know how much we'll actually see the Maesters sitting down and explaining anything, Sam explaining anything. But I, I think there's more information in, in those books that Sam has and, and all the information that he's studied down to the Citadel. I think it will play a part, so I do agree with that. And yeah, if Benjen somehow survives and can return south of the wall, maybe because, say, the wall's broken and the magic's broken, whatever is the reason, if he finds his way south, then uh, he has a larger part in the story, and he's not a main character. He was meant to die. He was meant to have that moment. Uh, in the books, did you, is it a loose end that George R. R. Martin needed to... F tighten up and finish and, and wrap up yeah to a certain degree but we'll see if this benjamin is not cold hands in the books theory or thought uh holds up if that is true um then who is cold hands that's a greatest that's a great mystery that i will still want answered from george r, r. martin's words uh and then what then happens to benjamin because this idea of benjamin's point in the story Benjamin's life in a way, much like, say, Hodor's was to Bran, Benjamin's point was to save Bran, to help Bran, to help Sam, uh, if, if Benjamin is cold hands and all those kind of events happen. And 
uh, here on the show to to be there for John at the end and to save John and to send him on to greater things. So that's why this Benjamin cold hand, this whole situation is interesting. And I, I, I will want an answer one way or the other from the books on uh, who Cold Hands is, what Benjamin is. I still think there's, there's a part of me that still thinks they're the same. I don't know why. I still think this whole, uh, that old note from George R. R. Martin to his editor saying, nope, Cold Hands is not Benjamin. It's, it, it's intriguing. There's a lot of other former rangers of the, of the Night's Watch who could, uh, could, who could be Cold Hands. It could be some ancient character. Totally get that. And I'd be fine with that if it makes sense. But if Cold Hands is not Benjamin, then I still want to know what happened to Benjamin. And I like the idea put forth now on the show that Benjamin was there to help John in the end, to inspire him early on and to help him in the end and send him on to bigger things. So by that notion, you're right. Benjamin had to go. The weekend edition of Daily Thrones rolls on here, and the conversation is turning towards Jamie Lannister. Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer, everyone's favorite villain from season one. The one we love to hate to the point where we kind of hated to love him, and now we might just love him. We've been talking here in the weekend edition about Jamie Lannister finally standing up to Cersei. Did it take him too long to get to that point? And is this uh, finally the breakaway point? Is this finally where Jamie has turned away from Cersei for good? And there's a lot of questions about Jamie Lannister going into season eight. A lot of questions for a lot of characters, but Jamie is he's one of the main characters left, as we said. He's he was there, season one, episode one. He's still going strong. There's only a few small handful of characters that actually have that distinction now being there from literally the very beginning of the show and story so where does he fit will he be entirely tied to cersei is that his future do we really need jamie to fulfill some prophecies i'm looking at you valencar prophecy will he move beyond that will he have a reunion with brianne that's meaningful Will he be accepted? Let's say he goes north, tries to join the fight. Will he be accepted? Has he done too much? You got to imagine Brienne might speak up for him and stand up for him and represent him against uh, anyone in the Stark clan who wouldn't want him to be there. But will that be enough? Does Jamie even belong there? Is his story entirely tied to Cersei? And if he is, the one prophesized in the Valencar prophecy. A prophecy, by the way, not exactly front and center on the show. It's definitely in the books, but Maggie the Frog left that out at the beginning of season five when talking to young Cersei. But I still think the end result will result, will be, I should say, Cersei's death. I think uh, there's... I just don't see Cersei surviving. I kind of predicted she might die this past season. I love Cersei Lannister, but I just I just think there has to be a cost for a lot of the things she did, even though some of it might be justified from a weird, stringent point of view. But is Jamie tied to that? And how could it go down? Let's focus on that. Got some calls about Jamie Lannister. Hey, Ken. So speaking about Jamie, I got kind of like a wild and crazy theory. 
So we know about the Valencar prophecy and all of that, and a lot of people think the Valencar is going to be Jamie, but what if Jamie dies and he's turned into a White Walker? And as they, you know, and, you know, he returns to King's Landing with them and Cersei, and he's, and it, a White Walker version of Jamie is the one that kills Cersei. Could that happen? Fulfilling the prophecy. Be kind of heartbreaking, to be, to be perfectly honest, but you never know. All right, so let's get into weird theory territory. And uh, we love weird theories here on Daily Thrones. Eric with a call about undead Jamie. Could that be a possibility? Jamie Lannister succumbing to uh, a White Walker or a White in uh, the battle, maybe the Siege of Winterfell, something like that, turns into a White, ends up killing Cersei. Now, I go back to season one, and the White, that was the former Night's Watchman, uh, the, uh, the the white that uh, tried to kill Jor Mormont and Jon Snow, and Jon Snow and Ghost take him out. Jon's first experience with a white. More to come, as we know. Uh, I go back to that white. I go back to that, because, yeah, he was dragged back beyond the wall, uh, back to Castle Black, but there seems to be... Uh, if you go with the theory here, go with the idea, it seems to me that there was some kind of distant memory in that white. It was almost like he was trying to kill Jor Mormont, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And at the very least, he knew where to get up, get out, and go find him. Uh, I've always interpreted it as just kind of subtle memories. Not that, not that he uh, wanted to kill him during his time alive, or not that it was a prediction of the mutiny to come. I'm not going that far, but just seemed like there was some kind of distant, foggy existence going on there. Some kind of memory tied to his former life. So, if you look at that, and you base it on that, could a reanimated Jamie Lannister find his way south and put his icy cold hands around the neck of his former sister? It's possible. Like any good theory, it's unlikely but intriguing. It might be the only way that Jamie Lannister would do that. It's part of what we've been talking about. Did Jamie stand up too late? Is the story completely tied to Cersei? And could he, given the chance as a fully functional normal human, kill Cersei? What would get him to get to that point? So maybe it'd just be easier for Jamie to do it as a white. And yes, you're right, Eric. Tragic. Tragic. There seems to be... I don't know, maybe it's because we know now very clearly what happens. It's like seeing Carsey at the end of uh, the, the hard home battle pop up again. Now a white. It's tragic. It's sad. It's like when Kevin keeps calling in with his theory that Hodor... Is going to be a white, and that we are we're going to see him. And I, I do believe Hodor is a white. I think he's out there somewhere, whether or not we'll see him again. But if we do, it would be an extra level of heartbreak. So, a undead Jamie fulfilling some sort of prophecy to kill Cersei might be tough to watch. Now, how far south? Let's just say this happens. How far south would he really have to go? There's been talk from the cast at season eight. We'll see old familiar faces in new places. So maybe Cersei 
is up more north than she's been since she left Winterfell all the way back in season one on that trip. Maybe maybe she's uh, at Mo Kalen. Maybe she is somewhere else. Maybe she runs it into an undead Jamie Lannister. It's a confrontation I don't think we'll see, but it's a confrontation that would be interesting. Ken, I don't know if we're going to get the events of Spoils of War in the books. I would like to believe that we do, and if we do, I hope it is all Jamie's perspective because I would love to know what he's thinking, what's going on in his mind during the moment where he decides to try and end the war by attacking Danny and then getting blindsided by Drogon. I would love to know what Jamie's thoughts were all the things that he is thinking and what he's decided. Keeping our Jamie Lannister talk going, Mark from Mark Talk has a interesting idea and thought about Jamie Lannister in the books. If the events of Spoils of War, the fourth episode of season seven, what a lot of us call the uh, Fields of Fire version two, and uh, the producers refer to as the Loot Train Battle, what were Jamie's thoughts, particularly? in the final moments of the battle in the final moments for jamie at least when he decided you know what would be a great idea to charge at a dragon i've heard it said before that it harkens back to what robert baratheon was saying uh talking about battles and reminiscing with uh barristan jamie some of the season one conversations where he's like you know it was a guy charging at me thinking he could uh you know end the war in one one damn charge I think that's Jamie's initial thought, but why I think Mark is so right, how I would love to hear this, whether or not, again, we get it exactly in the book. So I would love to hear, read, I should say, a little bit more of Jamie's point of view and completely understand his mindset, because I don't just think it was... Oh, there's the dragon. There's the dragon queen. Let me kill her. Let me kill the dragon. Let me end the war. I take it, and this is me. This is me, how I watched the, that episode in that moment. I take it as Jamie almost like, F this. I don't care if I die. I'm going to go out this way. Let's end this all, including myself here right now. I think he's fully aware in that moment that he's going to die. I think he's like... Uh, enough of this enough of this craziness this bloodshed this fire this dragon i won't put any more people through this so it's like part heroic but then part depression like almost like he was like i can't believe i followed cersei into this i could have been doing other things i could have been far away from here what am i doing here we have no chance and we know later on jamie comes back to this moment with cersei and it's basically kind of like we're done for that was just one of them. She's got three. We're done for. So, yes, I want some more insight into Jamie's mind. How much was hero? How much was desperation? And how much was depression? I think you'll find Jamie was not in the best frame of mind and not thinking like a hero in that moment, which is why Tyrion had the bright idea. He was muttering under his breath about his foolish brother in that moment. But hey... Thank God for Braun. Jamie's still around. So we'll see what happens if these books are ever finished. Daily Thrones Weekend Edition rolls on. 
The weekend edition of Daily Thrones rolls on, and we are, let's just call it a Jamie Lannister weekend. We are talking a lot about Jamie, and we have a wild theory, first put up by Eric on the station with his call about an undead Jamie. Could a white version of Jamie Lannister, a reanimated Jamie Lannister, put his icy cold hands around Cersei, killing her, fulfilling the Valonqar prophecy, though it's not a focus of the show we imagine it still might end up in the same spot would that work would you even want to see it we've got some calls to talk about an undead kingslayer here on daily thrones hey ken just calling in on the heels of uh, eric's previous call and then your response to that um what got my mind going was the idea of would jamie even be jamie at that point, would it even be fulfilling the Valonqar prophecy if a White Walker or white version of Jaime uh, showed up with the army of the undead and was the one that killed Cersei? Um, I, I'm personally of the hive mind theory where they're kind of some sort of warg thing, so I, I don't totally buy into it. It's a great idea, but um, yeah, I just I don't I don't totally buy into the fact that it would even be Jaime necessarily. Um, so I don't think it would fulfill the prophecy, but it would be a really cool scene. So thanks for taking the call, and have a great night. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Uh, Eric's theory of an undead Jamie is not as far-fetched as you might think. So let's let's break this down for a second. Everybody's at Winterfell. The Night King attacks. Based on how I have saw, seen things, it is the Night King raising the dead from the crypts, and then it's a frontal and an inside assault. But... Uh, is the show going to take in consideration that John might know that if there is a siege at Winterfell, that the un- that the dead there will rise up because he saw that at Hartholm, and are they taking precautions to immediately slay anybody that begins to rise, or you know, somebody falls, you chop off their head or something along those lines, right? Um, that's the this is the the strategy that I've been trying to build around the siege of Winterfell. If the main characters leave and they have not disposed of Jamie, then it's entirely possible for Jamie to join the army and move south. Eric's not too far-fetched off. Thanks. So two more thoughts and opinions on an undead Jamie Lannister. Kevin from Three to the Cocktail Questions calling in, talking about his long-held theory that the Night King will raise up warriors from the crypts of Winterfell and other places. Would there be a new kind of power and a, a an expanded power of what he's already doing when he reanimates the dead? Does he need them to be fully reanimated or will an undead Ned Stark be even possible because he's just, well, too far gone? That's a question maybe for another time. But through that, Kevin says it could be possible that we see an undead Jamie if Jamie is up there at what we we believe will be the Battle of Winterfell. And that's just a, an ongoing theory we've we've had. It just makes sense that there would be something going on at Winterfell that's way maybe a rallying point, the best place to defend against an army of the undead, including an undead dragon. There's not a lot of great spots. The Vale and Winterfell, but I don't think you can get everyone to the Vale in time. So I think Winterfell's the spot, a rallying point. It makes sense. And could that be where some of our favorite characters don't just die, but become reanimated and carry on some of their missions, carry on some of their plot? So Thomas Atoll checking in and saying, hey, it would be cool, and I agree too, it would be cool, uh, quotation marks, around cool, to see 
Jamie is an undead fulfilling the rest of his story, but would that really count as the completion of the prophecy, or would it really be fulfilling? That might be the big question. I do understand and kind of agree with what you're saying, Thomas, countering a little bit what I was saying yesterday, that going back to season one, when the Night's Watchman kind of comes back to life as a white and goes after G.R. Mormont, showing some sort of memory, some sort of sense of where they were, their past life. I also, we've seen it, Barrett Dondarrion really kind of touches upon it there in season seven, that, hey, with... Uh, the Night King and his White Walker generals, lieutenants, captains, so to speak, whatever rank you want to give them, uh, they seem to be controlling their white uh, army with more of a hive mind, more of a, a warring thing. And I definitely believe the Night King has some sort of warg powers, and I think that could come into play. Maybe him and Bran get into warg war. That's right, warg war one. Uh, so, yeah, through that, if Jamie was to be a white and connected to more of a hive mind... Would he even be interested? Would the Night King be interested in directly going after Cersei knowing to send Jaime? I don't think so. I think the Night King has some sort of knowledge of what's going on. I don't think they're up there looking at their ice watches going, all right, well, now's the time. Anyone want to attack this weird world to the south? I think there's some kind of awareness. I don't know to what degree, but I think the Night King has a little bit of a plan, which is why I believe the Battle of Winterfell is a really, really good possibility because I believe the Night King has some kind of connection to the Starks, whether or not he is a Stark, whether or not he lost to the Starks before, whether there's some kind of connection, connection to Jon Snow, connection to Bran. He's aware. I don't think he's just picking up information as he goes along. So I think he'll be at Winterfell, and that could lead to an undead Jamie. Let's keep talking about Jamie Lannister here on the weekend edition of Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken. So, uh, after hearing the idea of Warg War One, um, I'm actually running on it a little bit in my mind now. So this idea that I've had pop up is what if we do get an undead Jamie and he does show up and kill Cersei, but what if Bran is warging said undead Jamie? Um, I know that's super far fetched, but what if for some reason it's of, uh, it's a valid concern for them to want to remove Cersei from her seat of power. I think as anybody views it at this point. Um, is there a chance that maybe they do something like that? Would it be unethical? Oh, hell yeah. But, I mean, what is really ethical in the world of Game of Thrones? So, uh, just a crazy thought that popped up in my mind. And I'd love to know what everyone thinks. Thanks for taking the call, and have a great day. All right, guys, we got Sir Thomas Attal calling back with a theory about Warg War One. This is the thing we're, we're setting up here. Could it be the Night King and Bran in the end, warging against each other? And using the power of warg, the magic of warging, to get key victories. So could that factor into an undead Jamie as a as a reanimated white heading down to kill Cersei? And will that be something that Bran is concerned about? Or maybe it's the Night King. Again, how much does the Night King know? I want your theories all week about Warg War One. Bran versus the Night King. Talking theories, fun stuff here on Daily Thrones. All right, so we've been talking about Jamie Lannister all weekend here on the weekend edition of Daily Thrones. So I figured let's talk about Jamie Lannister's greatest hits, his greatest moments. There are, with every character in Game of Thrones, a lot of moments to choose from. I've picked five. These are mine. What are yours? We can add to them all week and start talking about other characters as well. 
something to be fun here. You can also submit them uh, on Twitter. Follow me at Ken Knapsack and use the hashtag Daily Thrones. All right, my list number five: saving Brienne from Locke the first time. Now, this didn't go so well. It ended in with his uh, hand being removed. But I think the growing morality in Jamie Lannister really first becomes apparent when on the road, captured by Locke, he and Bran go through just some hell, some torture, and he knows what's coming. Bran will be brutally raped. He knows this. It's reality of the land. It is sickening, a sickening reality of the land. And even the evil Jamie Lannister sees that this is not good. And yeah, maybe it came because he had a growing respect for Brienne. And, and maybe he wouldn't have had it for someone else. And that's another issue. But it's also, again, showing how Jamie is growing. And that moment where he lies to Locke, says she's worth. Uh, all the sapphires in the world and talks about the Isle of Sapphires and, and lies to Locke to save Bran from that moment. I think that's number five on the list. It's Jamie's emerging good heart. Number four, sticking with Bran, and quite frankly, a lot will be with Bran on this list, is giving Bran Oathkeeper. This keeps a promise to Catelyn Stark for both of them, but this is something that Jamie did promise. Catelyn Stark, when she let him free, when she sent him on the road with Brienne or sent Brienne on the road with Jamie, more accurately. And even though Jamie returns to a lot of his old ways and lives a complicated life and is, quote, back on the bad side, he still has that sense of loyalty to Brienne. You see it again at River Run when he watches her sneak off with Pod and kind of gives her a wave, almost a loving wave. But I love this moment when he hands the sword over to Brienne. He's not worthy of it. She is. Number three, the bathtub confession. I thought about putting some things on the list that are just fun or great Jamie Lannister moments. I love Jamie and his uh, golden hand down in Dorne when he uses it as a shield for the first time. Saves his life, basically. Um, I love him in that scene with Robert Baratheon talking about his first kill. And the conversation turns to the Mad King. But the bathtub confession is such a moment. Such a moment with Jamie. You get the whole picture. You get who he is. You understand it. And maybe for a lot of people, for the first time, you have complete sympathy for him. Number two, for me, it is freeing Tyrion, his brother, at the end of season four. He doesn't want to see his brother die. They have that connection. They disagree on a lot of things. They disagree on maybe how to go about a lot of things. But Jamie and his loyalty to his brother, though tested, seemingly never broken. It should be interesting to see if they have a reunion again. Because in this moment, he frees Tyrion, but it does come back to haunt Jamie as it ends up in the death of his father. Now, uh, Tywin, not the best father to Jamie, but again, Jamie has that loyalty there as well. So we'll see what happens when they meet again. I mean, they met again this past season, their little secret parlay. But what happens when they really have to be around each other, when they really have to work around each other? And my number one moment, it's the bear, the bear, and the maiden fair. Jamie Lannister completes his transition. Now, again, he'll go on to some complicated decisions and get in some complicated situations. But returning, forcing the issue, returning to 
Brienne in the bear pit. Jumping in, literally putting his life on the line to save her. It is real, tangible evidence that Jamie Lannister is not who he thought, and maybe he's not who he thought. And he does one of the most heroic things he's ever done. Jumps in to a bear pit to save Brienne. That's my five. There's a lot more to choose from. You can let me know. We'll start talking other characters' greatest hits and moments here on Daily Thrones. That was the weekend edition. Hope you guys enjoyed it.